1: This is a journey into sound. Brought to you in living color on WTDI. In the beginning, the end. So where to start? When you're in the middle of a story, it isn't a story at all. But only a confusion, a dark roaring, a blindness, a wreckage of shattered glass and splintered wood. Like a house in a whirlwind or or else a boat crushed by the icebergs or swept over the rapids. And all aboard are powerless to stop it. It's only afterwards that it becomes anything like a story at all. When you're telling it to yourself or to someone else.
0: Good morning, Rick. And welcome back to the Magical Mystery Tour.
1: Antonio, thank you so much for having me. I feel like I'm having Christmas all over again. Maybe the best present of all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you feel that way.
1: <laughs> it's great. It's great to talk to you because it's always such a pleasure.
0: It's always such a pleasure to talk with you as well. And this has been such a fruitful and enjoyable relationship for me
1: oh it's it's been the best for me because i really i don't often get a chance to talk to people at this depth and at this level so and and part of the process too tonio is I get to learn from you, which is what's so great
0: well i'm I'm always looking forward to learning from you, and you have you've got uh, you're tapped into the poetry realm, which is something that that I enjoy so much, but have not had the background. To, uh, to really know the territory like you do. So, I, I'm sure you've got lots of poetry um, lined up for us or just sitting there available, waiting for the right moment for us. So, I'm, I'm really looking forward to however this conversation unfolds today. Sure.
1: So, where would you like to start?
0: Um, well... When I reached out to you, I uh, I was thinking about talking about uh, you know getting back to the notion of taking full responsibility for everything in our experience and what that means and and how that how we experience that how we can work with that notion which I think is is something that's rather foreign for a lot of people that it's so easy to get caught up in in blame and guilt and thinking that other people are doing things that are making our lives difficult or challenging whether it's people that are close to us in our personal lives or whether it's um like the government or politicians that are making us crazy or whether it's maybe it's the weather or or the yep. god you know, the fickle gods or the winds of change. You know, it's it's so easy to get caught up into thinking, you know, poor me, why me? Why is this happening to me? And that is that flies in the face of this notion of taking full responsibility for everything in our lives. So I'd love to ask I just would like to hear from you how how do we how do we do this I mean how do we take full responsibility for everything in our lives and what does that mean in relation to everything else that's that's literally swirling around us in our lives and in us in our lives
1: I think there are a couple of ways to go about it first uh, and actually I was gonna ask you in relation to this very idea that you're bringing up did you have a, some kind of faith-based background when you were growing up that gave you any kind of perspective in terms of how to deal with the world? No, none at all. Okay. So, so you didn't have really any prejudice in essence that, that was really leading you on in a certain way. So, it, so now we're stuck with, like, like me, because I have a similar background to yours, Antonio, that, as you mentioned, we live in a shame blame based paradigm. And I think that shame and blame paradigm is really based on this concept of separateness. That is, that I have my body, you have your body, you know, whoever has their body, you know, there are birds, there's trees, all this, and that we all live separate existences, you know, that I don't know, for instance, the consciousness of the tree I'm looking at outside. So here we all are separate. And as soon as, as, as soon as something happens, you know, like, say, the tree... In fact, I had a friend in California just recently. There's a windstorm that came through, and a redwood branch came down through the, the roof of the kitchen directly into the kitchen. Uh. So <laughs> one could, of course, blame the weather, blame climate change, all that. Uh, it really wasn't for me. It wasn't until I had come across... The, the practice of ho'oponopono which really insisted on this idea if you want to adapt that practice of 100% responsibility and of course it sounded quite foreign to me and when dr Hugh Len, you know told his story about working with a ward of criminally insane people uh, that that he you know he was just looking at their files and he was forgiving that part of himself that created whatever behaviors were happening in these inmates. And after two years, most of the place, you know, most of the, the, those, those criminally insane men were released. And if, a year later, the whole place shut down because he just kept cleaning the whole thing up, which was utterly fascinating to me. Like, how can this really be? And I started just doing this, you know, doing my version of, of it, which is really his version, and just seemed so. Would things start shifting in my own life? And I didn't have, I would say, the profound effects that he has. I think he probably has, you know, that that kind of shamanistic sort of power to do those sorts of things. But I just noticed that things just kept flowing uh, much easier in that process. So it was a big leap in here to step away from the shame and blame because I think there is a natural tendency for us. It's so much easier or, one, to shame or blame someone because we don't have to take responsibility, and we can just sort of be off the hook continually by just saying, well, if, if we had the right president of the United States, if we had, you know, the right weather, everything's going to be perfect, you know, that kind of thing. But it really, in the long run, doesn't change a whole lot because all it's done is created a kind of denial and we're still stuck in those, those old places. So tell me how how has it been working for you? Like like to have you gotten to a place where you feel that that because I think you're quite self sufficient. What I know of your own life that you can, can have you adopted would you say a full embrace of this idea of one hundred percent responsibility.
0: Well, I love I love the whole notion. When I first discovered it about twelve years ago, twelve or thirteen years ago, I just loved the whole notion of it, but it's always, it's been challenging at times because it's really easy to fall back into the knee-jerk reaction to things happening or, around me. And I'm I'm really curious, when did you discover Ho'oponopono?
1: That was probably about the same time, time frame as you, Tonyo, about 12 or 13 years ago, and it was actually quite by accident. I mean, you know, the the introduction I'd mentioned to this to you in a previous conversation was in Colin Tipping's book called Radical Forgiveness. And, and he, he doesn't mention the word ho'oponopono or that practice, but it's a whole story where basically his, I think it's his sister, is having trouble with her marriage, and, and, and the sister ends up going to visit Colin in the United States. The marriage is over in England. And when she cleans up something in relation to her own past i.e. her relationship with her father all the things that were happening in the marriage completely changed for the better so that was the first doorway and then dr hugh len kind of formalized this whole thing of oh so if we forgive these aspects of ourselves and i think this is the part that's again difficult for people to understand we really actually have an incredible amount of power and an incredible amount of influence in the, the world around us and every thought that is going on in our bodies of course this can include unconscious things that are happening too is having an impact on everything around us so for instance if, if i wake up and i may not even be particularly conscious of it that i'm angry about something and i go out with that anger out in the world Well (laughs) I'm going to get results accordingly, i.e. there are gonna be things that will further that anger and, and great reasons for me to be more angry about the whole thing. So so fascinating how it works and I don't know if there's a simple way to put it, but you know, like like one of my teachers, Robert Waterman, would talk about the idea that the universe is based on unconditional love. That's that's the bottom line right there. So whatever energy, whatever thought, whatever, whatever it is, whatever action I bring to that unconditional love, that love will respond accordingly and give me more of the same.
0: So what you're saying, when you say that the universe is made up of unconditional love, what, in effect what you're saying, or what it sounds like you're, you're saying, is that the universe acts as a mirror for us, a perfect mirror, in a way.
1: Exactly. Exactly, Tony. In fact, I re- even... Tell me what you think of this idea. I've been thinking lately, there's really nothing more present than life itself. In other words, that when I go out and do whatever, life is always going to give me the instantaneous feedback as far as what is, you know, i.e. mirroring what is happening inside of me.
0: Yes. Yeah, so... I would love to hear your experience of how working with this concept of taking 100% responsibility for everything in in your life has has affected your life and what you've experienced directly f- from that and yeah and how that's unfolded over the over the past like 12 years or so
1: once I got into the practice of self-forgiveness, that was really key, and, you know, and that's, that's you know part of this whole piece of oh, taking on that responsibility, and if I keep doing it, and the thing that's so lovely about it is I'm not blaming myself, and it's really a very easy practice, and it's not like it, you know, I have to obsess and do this all the time, there's no need for that. Once I started doing that, then all of a sudden, things started flowing much much easier than I ever really imagined, and yes, there's still there's still the suffering, the suffering of friends dying, there's the, you know, the suffering of, you know, like, going through an illness, things like that, but I now have actual, an actual tool, or tools in my hand that I can say, like, oh, you know, it's like, like, there was that, you know, I don't know if I, I if you had a chance to open it up, I sent you an email later on last night, which talked about, uh... Uh, you know, it was a bunch of quotes from Mystery School. And so, for instance, here it says, uh, if I have a pain, for instance, should I forgive myself or ask the pain to forgive me? So here, here I've given a couple options. So once I got into this whole practice of getting into the self-forgiveness and taking on the responsibility, the thing that was really great about it is that there is no goal in mind. There's no destination here. Oh, I'm going to make the world better. Oh, I'm going to fix everything, that kind of thing. But I've taken this burden off of my shoulders, whatever that might be, in terms of my shaming, my blaming, my judging, my attachments, that kind of thing. And then I let grace come in and have its own way. And that's where my life seems to want to keep heading, is the place where grace, i.e., the least amount of obstacles are going to present themselves so that whatever will unfold or whatever can unfold will unfold
0: does that make sense um, yeah, it does now I want to get even i want to go deeper into this like let's say I wake up in the morning and i'm just feeling kind of crummy, you know kind of lousy, or just yeah. not feeling great, and and the, usually the the impulse is to go, oh, I just feel rotten, and just to kind of feel bad about feeling rotten. So I'm adding an additional layer to right. that feeling, and when I remember to take full responsibility for it, and 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 to do. The, the practice, the ho- ho- pono practice of, of saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me for whatever's arising within me to create this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it, for me, it, it creates some space around it where I'm no longer identifying with the experience I'm having so tightly, it's like exactly. when there's no space. It's like I am. I'm just like I'm stuck with this feeling, and that's all there is. Yeah. It's like the negative side of of that notion of no separation. It's like I'm I'm stuck in in this identification. It's like a small identification or a small sense of 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 no separation from me and what I'm experiencing. And, yeah. and when I take responsibility, when I take full responsibility by, by saying I'm sorry, you know, and deeply and feeling into this, feeling into what I'm feeling and also feeling into as I'm, as I'm doing this practice of, of saying deeply and sincerely, I'm sorry, please forgive me for whatever is arising inside of me to create this problem. Something happens in that process. Something, it's like by doing that, I'm allowing an alchemical transformation to begin in whatever way it does. And I think that's what, I think that's what I would equate to what you refer to as grace.
1: Yes, and you, you've just mentioned some really brilliant things, and I know you've done this as a practice for some time, which was first not identifying that, in the, and instead of identifying and turning it into noticing, or you know, the, as, as we used to talk about in my ministry school, instead of identifying, turn it into information. So if you're feeling crummy in the morning. That's a piece of information. Don't identify with it, but you get to notice it and go, oh, that's interesting. Huh. You know, what is this experience about? Then you mention this other piece, and, and this gets into this rather interesting spiritual tenet, which is that, and I've seen this show up in different forms. You know, in our mystery school, the, the way that it was put was that, that we just have to show up and be present, like you noticing the crumminess. That's our 10% then the divine will provide the other 90% to go ahead and make whatever changes that are necessary.
0: And if so, we're identifying with that 10%, then we, we block out exactly. everything else. The way,
1: the way that it seems to work, and, and this actually shows up in, in the Ho'oponopono work, there's three aspects to, to ourselves at least according to Dr. Hewlett, but this goes into other, other modalities as well. There's our conscious self. You and me here talking on, on, on the phone in this interview. There is the basic self. That's the part of us that you know, that gets you know, hung up on, attached to belief, survival, all those really basic aspects. Then there's the high self. For the most part, in our day-to-day lives, the way most people are living in the standard paradigm, they're just sort of working between the conscious self and the basic self. And, and that's why things get so limited, and that's why we end up in the shame-blame thing, because that's all the conscious self and basic self are really quite capable of doing. Once, you, once those two aspects, though, enlist the help of the high self, i.e. the divine, then, then things can actually change. So when, for instance, you mentioned... You start saying, "I'm sorry, forgive me, thank you, I love you." Ho'oponopono. You're enlisting the help of the high self at that point. Real power shows up, real juice, and something can take place. So you know it's interesting. It was recently Tonya. I don't know if you've had a chance. There's a there's a documentary on Ram Das, You know, who just passed away this in, in the last week, and in and it shows a bunch of beautiful clips in in this documentary of him doing his workshops and one of them he talks about this idea that that most people in our paradigm are pretty much tuned into sort of the equivalent of one radio station maybe two and that's the shame blame thing right there and that's where for instance we see what's happening in politics we see yeah. this happening all over the place you know like well it's just so much easier to do the shame blame thing but once we get into this very thing you mentioned of going to, I'm sorry, forgive me, get into the noticing, and then just started listing the help of the divine, all the other possibilities start showing up, which is so fascinating to me. And that's why it got so exciting you know, when I really discovered this. It's like, oh, now life, rather than becoming a burden, becoming you know, a, a focus on suffering, it really becomes this incredible adventure. What experience can you bring to me and, of course, you know, there's certain ones that I do not prefer to have happen, you know, say cancers or things like that. But what experience can you bring to me that I can do, apply these very tools to? But I imagine I would apply the very same tools to even the crazy stuff like cancer, you know, like to whatever might happen in the course of my life. And see, see what could happen rather than just adopting the old paradigm of, oh, woe is me, I'm now stuck with this.
0: -hmm and earlier you, you you mentioned something about acknowledging or recognizing an experience that we're having as information and pain is one of the more extreme versions of that, like real serious chronic pain and people who work with pain and there's meditation practice around just dealing with and being present with pain and using the practice of recognizing that pain as an experience of energy and, and allowing that feeling sense of pain to just be pure information or pure energy rather than putting the label of pain on it, you know, intentionally, you know, we're not, well, this, it's, this is where it gets tricky to talk about it, but the practice is essentially removing the narrative that we overlay onto the direct experience, and when we can do that, the pain no longer is pain in the narrative sense of what pain is, the way we define pain and the way we relate to pain as mm-hmm. something that, that feels bad or, or something mm-hmm. that we want to try and fix yeah, or, or avoid. Yeah. And, and there's a whole meditation practice around that, that, that people who suffer from chronic pain I mean one one simple way of of practicing that is like if you do sitting meditation and you sit cross-legged and like in a lotus position or even a half lotus position after a while it will get really uncomfortable just sitting there and it may become actually physically painful and you can work with that in the same way and and the benefit of that is that you can apply the same thing to when you're experiencing discomfort in any other way in your life, whether it's emotional discomfort, reactive discomfort to circumstances around us, or, or depression, or, or anything that is particularly difficult and challenging for us personally.
1: And that's just so beautiful. In fact, here's a poem, which actually I've been thinking about this poem for you in particular, uh, Antonio, because it, it's, it's written by a meditation teacher, and it's really, and he also happens to be a comedian. His name is Wes Nisker. He practices out on the West Coast. And the name of the poem is called Why I Meditate. And so um, if, if, it, if it's okay, I'd like to read it to you.
0: It's always okay for you to read poetry (laughs) on my
1: show. Here we go. Um, I meditate because I suffer. I suffer, therefore I am. I am, therefore I meditate. I meditate because there are so many other things to do. I meditate because when I was younger, it was all the rage. I meditate because Siddhartha, Gautama, Bodhiharma, Marco Polo, the British Raj, Carl Jung, Alan Watts, Jack Kerouac, Alfred E. Newman, et al. I meditate because evolution gave me a big brain, but it didn't come with an instruction manual. I meditate because I have all the information I need. I meditate because the largest colonies of living beings, the coral reefs, are dying. I meditate because I want to touch deep time where the history of humanity can be seen as just an evolutionary adjustment period. I meditate because life is too short and sitting sitting slows it down. I meditate because life is too long and I need an occasional break. I meditate because I want to experience the world as Rumi did or Walt Whitman or as Mary Oliver does. I meditate because now I know that enlightenment doesn't exist so I can relax. I meditate because of the Dalai Lama's laugh. I meditate because there are too many advertisements in my head and I'm erasing all but the very best of them. I meditate because the the physicists say there may be 11 dimensions to reality and I want to get a peek into a few more of them. I meditate because I've discovered that my mind is a great joy and I like to play with it. I meditate because I want to remember that I'm perfectly human. Sometimes I meditate meditate because my heart is breaking. Sometimes I meditate so that my heart will break. I meditate because a Vedanta master once told me that in Hindi my name, Nisker, means non-doer. I meditate because I'm growing old and want to become more comfortable with emptiness. I meditate because I think Robert Thurman was right to call it an, quote, evolutionary sport, end quote. And I want to be on the home team. I meditate because I'm composed of 100 trillion cells, and from time to time I need to reassure them that we're all in this together. I meditate because it's such a relief to spend time ignoring myself. I meditate because my country spends more money on weapons than all other nations in the world combined. If I had more courage, I'd probably immolate myself. I meditate because I want to discover the fifth Brahma Vihara, the divine abode of awe, and then get down in history, then go down in history as a great spiritual adept. And Finally, I meditate because I'm building a bigger and better perspective, and occasionally I need to add a new window.
0: that covers but a does lot that of,
1: cover enough ground i was just going to
0: say <laughs> that that covers a lot of territory
1: <laughs> well and so it's the very thing that you were just talking about how do we open up this world of possibilities like when you're talking about chronic pain that's a very difficult place because pain so demands our attention so 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 i mean it's really it's it's just it overwhelms in essence in fact i'm helping a neighbor um, it's not that far down the road who's, I don't know if he's on the way out or not, but he had a, a, cancer, a cancerous tumor removed from his colon, but the cancer had already metastasized. So, so I see him there, you know, using, for instance, there's an oral version of morphine. So this is how he's dealing with the pain. But I also wonder, so what happens when we have, like as you mentioned, what if we had a conversation even in the midst of something as awful as chronic pain? Had a conversation with that pain and say, "Is what? What is this about? You know, what are you telling me?" Rather than just the one thing of, "Oh, I just had the pesticide cancer." What might the other possibilities that this pain would be talking about? And even having a conversation because I think there's such a tendency. It's just sort of like the shame and blame thing, which is how we can always turn whatever into the other. Like pain is the other. Pain is just pain, and I simply want to get rid of it because. I'd rather be happy, I'd rather be blissful, or something like that. Well, uh, you know, unfortunately, pain seems to be part of the package. You know, if I fall down, if I break something, whatever, that that there is going to be pain involved, and that's, this is just, I think, you know, to me, I've just gotten to the point of, like, this is a reality, we have bodies, and things happen to our bodies, then what are we going to do to, well, minimize, you know, there's... There's again back into the taking responsibility. I see a lot of people at my age. Here I am at 67. A lot of people who really kind of given up in terms of how of taking care of their bodies and things are falling apart. And it's sort of heartbreaking for me because it's like, well, why give up? It's not like you have to do a lot, but I mean, doing a little. I used to watch a neighbor out here who, and I know she was older than me. She was out walking every day, regardless of weather. It wasn't out there for a long time, but I thought, how lovely. She was out there keeping in motion. And obviously, I think there was some benefit for her in doing that. So what do we do with this chronic pain? Well, you know, and that's, that's why I wonder, well, what about these other options? Having a conversation is there something like I love... It was, again, this was back to that mystery school stuff. There was a quote that said, if I have a pain, for instance, should I forgive myself or ask the pain to forgive me? What do you think of that?
0: I don't know. What about forgiving the pain
1: yeah that too see now you're you're doing the perfect thing Tonio. to me which is you keep opening up the boxes and finding out more possibilities which is to me that would be the ideal because that now you're back into see, it's almost like applying that kind of childlike curiosity of the kids playing outside and they just keep exploring 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 how can we apply that kind of almost innocent curiosity to even the more difficult things that we encounter as we get older, so we don't get stuck in that old paradigm of, "Oh, it's pain, I need medication?"
0: Or I can you know I can imagine Dr. Hugh Len talking about this 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 relationship with pain and saying, "Think about the pain." Think about what we're doing to the pain when, when, we're, when we're identifying with the pain and, and pushing against it and, and blaming it and making it the other, making it the evil other that, that we wanted, that we're willing to do anything to get rid of it. Because his thing is always cleaning, is cleaning everything. He's into cleaning everything, and, and that's how, what that's that's what he calls this process of ho pono pono pono. Of uh, you know, I'm sorry. Please forgive me for for anything arising within me that's creating this problem. He anything he sees it in his environment, everything, whether it's an object, a person, a feeling, an experience, a thought, a concept. Everything that he experiences that he is aware of in his field of, of experience, he cleans because he, he talks about that as being his work, and it's a continual thing that he does continually throughout the day, every day, every day, every week, every month, every year, throughout his entire life. But that's, that's his business.
1: That's the 100% responsibility right there. When you were mentioning this right at, at the very beginning of this thought that you had, I was just thinking of the idea of instead of holding our pain hostage. That's exactly. That, exactly. You
0: know, the, that's what I was getting at, is that in a way, when we have that relationship, that negative other relationship with pain, we are literally holding it hostage. and yeah. And you can think about that poor pain. It's just locked into our kind of tyrannical approach to it.
1: Yes, exactly. And, and this applies to that, that larger thing also of forgiveness, which is, you know, like forgiving, the whole process of forgiving. There's a quote I have somewhere in, in my book, which is you know, about this idea of forgiving oneself, is that you... <laughs> You're not releasing the other person as a hostage that you've been holding because you've been blaming them or shaming them, whatever. You're, asking, you're actually releasing yourself from the
0: whole situation. And that's that's the key thing because the pain that we're, we may be experiencing as so de- debilitating and so unpleasant and that we are othering and trying to get rid of, that pain is part of us. And it's a part of us that in the in the way that we cannot get rid of it we can try, we can take drugs we can drink we can we can camouflage it we can numb ourselves but there's something about that pain that is part of us it's part of our direct experience of our whole world view slash experience that there's a wholeness to our lives and and our experience of everything and in that sense there's there's no separation and that's why um that's why when we're when we don't have a healthy relationship with anything in our lives it causes us suffering whether it's pain or someone that we love
1: <laughs> yeah yeah you know and here's a quote this is uh, this is from one of the chapters, the chapter on surrender, that's in my book. But it's, it's from a person who had done a lot of um, was following Rudolf Steiner's work, and his name is Volker Fintelman, and he's talking about this uh, about anthroposophic medicine. And so here's the quote. It's not very long. In particular, anthroposophic medicine raises a question of a chronic or acute illness's significance in the biography of the patient. In what ways does the illness express or appear as a result of what is happening in the patient's life? In what way does it open up or close down life paths? The events of an illness often constitute decisive decision points in the patient's life. Through overcoming an illness, a patient may open up biographical doors and or develop aspects of his or her being that he or she might not otherwise have achieved. The medical goal is then not necessarily to restore the previous condition of the patient, which led to the illness, but rather to achieve a new and healthier condition.
0: What do you think of that? I love that. And what I was thinking, you know, what occurred to me while you were saying that was your earlier metaphor of, of what Ramdas talked about of the radio stations tuning into one or two radio stations like we usually tune into two radio station and they're like the polar opposites of each other and those become our reference points of how we relate to the world around us and also inside of us yeah. and that when we can accept those things and let them be as they are but at the same time, through that act of, of total acceptance and taking 100% responsibility for those, those narrow experiences, we open up the possibility of, of experiencing other channels, other radio stations, other perspectives, other ways of experiencing the same thing.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I was thinking, like, one of the edges of my life, Tonio, has been in relationship with women. And I would repeat a pattern when I was younger, which in essence was what I had learned, absorbed my, you know, my own programming of codependence. And I would do this whole codependent thing, and I would keep repeating it, saying, well, you know, I was doing this old paradigm mentality of, if I find, find the right partner... Then everything is going to change, and you know. And, and what I realized, particularly when I applied the Byron Katie whole thing to to this this thing of you know, well, you know, what would happen in these relationships is inevitably uh, I'd, I would be left, or this person would get involved with somebody else, somebody else, something like that. So when I did the Byron Katie, the four questions of so so you know, I was abandoned. You know, is it true? Well, yes, of course it was true. You know, is it really true? Well, yeah, you know, obviously, I'm not still with them. How would it feel if I I wasn't abandoned? It would feel great. Now turn it around, and it was like, oh, so that was this was monumental for me. It's like, so I abandoned myself. Then I had to find the. Well, so what did that even mean? Because here I was, so stuck in that paradigm of codependence. Then I started looking into that, and once I started disassembling this old way of of approaching it. You know, I, I can go into relationships, and this has been the case say in the last five or ten years of getting into a relationship and realizing, say with, usually within a year, like, "Oh, here's somebody who's really a lovely person, and we have certain connections, but they're really not willing to do the work, so there's not much point in continuing on, because it's just not going to go anywhere. I could already see the dead end in the road. And so those relationships they would, they would dry up, and it's like, oh! now I'm so much happier because it's not like it really wasn't a question of control for me. It was just a question of, so what would it be like in this new paradigm of not abandoning myself so I wouldn't have to go through that pain, that incredible pain at the end of a codependent relationship of, like, having an arm severed and going, what just
0: happened? So you're talking about when you're having a relationship where you're you're essentially placing an expectation upon them you're putting a desire of yours into their court and expecting them to deliver on it and back in the early days you probably had no idea that you didn't recognize the signs that that just wasn't their their way of of relating to people, or or to you, or or how they do things in their lives, and later on in your life, you came to realize that oh, that's not they're not into that into playing that way. They, that's that's just not the way they respond to to what I want. They have their own thing, and by staying in a relationship with someone who you recognize their behavior or, the, or just their orientation toward their life and the world around them, which includes you. You are essentially abandoning yourself to a pattern that you know is going to happen, but for whatever reason, you are choosing not to not fully acknowledge it and, in effect, not take full responsibility for it.
1: And and you know there there are two other ways to 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 say that uh, you know another version of what you just expressed, Tonyo. One was that I was laying too much of a burden, too much of an expectation, on this other person. You know that they were going to be staying there forever, regardless of whatever circumstance might have happened. That's too much of a burden to lay on anybody else, and and that's that's irresponsible, I think. But the other way, now we get into the deeper thing. My abandonment of myself was going to be mirrored by my partner, by them abandoning me. Mm-hmm. And that's a wild thing, you know. I, I just, in fact, I went through this very similar thing with my dear mother, who who has difficulties walking into a dining room where she happens to to live, and not knowing exactly where she might end up sitting. You know, if she does not have an arrangement as far as who she's going to sit with, so this creates a lot of anxiety in her. And, and I expressed to her this very thing just like I was expressing to you, which was, this is a wild idea, but on this purely energetic level, the world is sensing your anxiety and therefore is not wanting necessarily to be with you uh, like, if like say, the other circumstance would be somebody would call in advance and say, oh, please, let's have dinner together. Now they're just sensing your anxiety, and you're not getting those phone calls. I said, now the real work, and this is you taking responsibility, how can you somehow learn to manage that anxiety so that you will start getting the phone calls again or everything will flow when you walk into that dining room? So there's a whole energetic that's going here, and I think that's what we've been speaking to with, the doctor, with Dr. Hugh and Ho'oponopono, which is how can we create an energetic to get things flowing, whether it's with chronic pain, or whatever, because I think there's a tendency for some people, I do know some people here in, in town that have chronic pain, and I think there's almost an addiction that can happen because it becomes a perfect excuse for their lives, as far as I don't, I don't have to do this, I can't do that, that. It really creates this nice little bubble for them, and there's no real interest in wanting to go beyond that bubble. Versus what you were suggesting before, this idea of making a new relationship with pain, talking to it, seeing it—that the pain may still be there, but that it will never be exactly the same because there's going to be movement by having a relationship to it, other than simply being against it.
0: Yes, and the simple process of of saying I'm saying talking to it and saying I'm sorry please forgive me for anything arising from within me to create this problem or this this relationship that i'm having with with you or with this ex, this feeling that i'm experiencing or or the circumstances in my life in, in this moment that i'm not enjoying or that i'm suffering from that just doing that deeply and sincerely Opens up uh, an entire new horizon of possibility.
1: Exactly, and that's what we're after. You know, I had a circumstance recently where I'm, I'm start, starting to think everybody in my life is becoming a teacher. Of course, you included here, tonio But my my younger brother, who is he's coming out of his depression, but he had sent an email and was talking about how it was raining there in Georgia and it really wasn't helping his mood. And and I wrote him right back. I said, you know. The, I said the Buddhists have this really great practice, and I think they are really on top of it in terms of, uh, you know, these philosophies that are out there, and that they, they really are so conscious of the idea of how we need to train the brain. Said, so when you just say, you've, once you've identified with the rain and how it's not helping your mood, you've now collapsed all the possibilities, and now you're stuck in one place. But now, if you want to open the possibilities back up, you could hear, and I I gave him some examples, I said you could say, oh, it's raining, when I'm done with work, I should go home and pick up my guitar and play the blues, because my mood will really help fuel that creativity. Or, it's raining, what a typical thing for the southeast of the United States. Or, it's raining, this will be a perfect night to go home and snuggle with my wife before we go to bed. I said, you know, we're, we're always looking for more possibilities rather than less possibilities. And I think that's the kind of, it's such an interesting thing to see how paradigms develop. And like the, the mainstream paradigm that we're talking about at the beginning of the conversation really wants to lock us in to the shame-blame thing, to, you know, it's like the health system. you know, And this it's like I was mentioning before, so many people... Want to go ahead, or at least they're just been conditioned, programmed into the idea of, "I'll just take a med to deal with whatever this thing is. and this thing is," and it doesn't really ultimately ever change the actual condition that's going on. So it's so fascinating to see how the, the paradigm loves to perpetuate itself, but the beauty of it all is that we have that option to step out of the paradigm and, and do something else here. I'll, I'll read you. This is a classic poem from Wendell Berry. It was called Manifesto, the Mad Farmer Liberation Front, which you may be familiar, familiar with, Tonyo. But the poem is, love the quick profit, the annual raise, vacation with pay. Want more of everything ready-made? Be afraid to know your neighbors and to die, and you will have a window in your head. Not even your future will be a mystery anymore. Your mind will be punched in a card and shut away in a little drawer. When they want you to buy something, they will call you. When they want you to die for profit, they will let you know. So, friends, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. Denounce the government and embrace the flag. Hope to live in that free republic for which it stands. Give your approval to all you cannot understand. Praise ignorance for what man has not encountered, he has not destroyed. Ask the questions that have no answers. Invest in the millennium. Plant sequoias. Say that your main crop is the forest that you did not plant, that you will not live to harvest. Say that the leaves are harvested when they have rotted into into the mold. Call that profit prophesies our such returns. Put your faith in the two inches of hummus that will build under the trees every thousand years. Listen to carrion. Put your ear close and hear the faint chattering of the songs that are to come. Expect the end of the world. Laugh. Laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. So long as women do not go cheap for power, Please women more than men. Ask yourself, will this satisfy a woman satisfied to bear a child? Will this disturb the sleep of a woman near to giving birth? Go with your love to the fields. Lie down in the shade and rest your head in her lap. Swear allegiance to what is nighest in your thoughts. As soon as the generals and the politicos can predict the motions of your mind, lose it. Leave it as a sign to mark the false trail the way you didn't go. Be like the fox who makes more tracks than necessary, some in the wrong direction. Practice resurrection. So isn't that great? There he really, he he just completely lambasts the the main paradigm and, and, and is really offering lots of clues as far as how do we step out of this paradigm so that we can live... The, the life that, at least from my perspective, you know, the soul perspective, the life, you know, the gifts that, for instance, Tonyo Epstein has been given so he can share those gifts with the world, i.e., doing your radio show, doing the things you do in your community. How can we live that life rather than me being the programmed person and doing what I'm expected to do?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, it's an interesting thing you know, and again, this is another quote from, from Mystery School, which talked about that, you know, these, these old reference points have to do with validation. Here's the old paradigm, validation, approval, sense of worth, wholeness, fulfillment, love, success, abundance, reconciliation, praise, fame. The new reference points include soul, spirit, and the divine.
0: So when you say the old reference points of validation, approval, sense of worth, you're talking about seeking it from outside of ourselves.
1: Yes, exactly, which is, this is what the ego so longs for, are the very things, those
0: very things I mentioned. And so, from that perspective, that paradigm, we relate to the world, our relationship to the world is one of hope and expectation, which leaves us vulnerable to disappointment and despair, and yeah. it's a continual ongoing um, back and forth that's occurring. And in a sense, when we play that game with ourselves, aren't we, in effect, abandoning ourselves to the to the fickle nature of the winds of change without yeah. without the understanding that comes, or without the wisdom of of taking full responsibility?
1: That, that's exactly right. And you know, Antonio, it's so interesting that you brought up this topic for our conversation today, because as I was thinking about it this week, you know, I was thinking about we, we live in such a fascinating time where so many of the old paradigms, all the places where we used to is basically put our trust, where we used to look for moral, moral authority, all those places are collapsing around us. Which is such a fascinating time to see that this is what's taking place at the moment. And I'm talking about whether it's government, whether it's you know, our faith that used to be in educators. I mean a friend just this week was telling me that Shambhala Publishing is coming apart at the seams because a number of its spiritual authors have been called out for sexual impropriety and it's really you know, they're losing their credibility. This is happening everywhere in every you know, all the places where we used to have have trust. So now it's such an interesting time for me because the very topic that you brought for our conversation is the very thing that's coming up now. It's like, well, we can't really rely on government. We can't really rely on the health care system, at least the old one. We can't really, I mean, we can't, I guess, you know, in certain senses. If I have a trauma, I'll certainly go to the emergency room. But there are just so many things that what we used to think was stable is no longer stable anymore. So now we really it really is just up to us individually and how do we create whatever new thing might come about as a larger sort of global whatever action that's going to take place. But your very thought is, I think, the very place to start. How do we do the work individually to get to that place of 100% responsibility so that this thing can move to wherever it needs to move?
0: And this new instability, that's that's manifesting all around us, in the world, everywhere, is becoming the new stability. It's paradox. <laughs> yeah. And it's giving us. It's true. It's, in its own weird way. <laughs> it's giving it's giving us the opportunity to to find a home in the instability, to find a kind of paradoxical. Stability within the instability, because as you as you i think very astutely um, pointed out, the world is coming apart at the seams at least in terms of the way we have been imagining it and narrating it in the past, and all of the old stories are coming apart because. What's being revealed is that we have never been true to those stories, or it, it's now becoming revealed that that underneath it all, we were lying. We were full of it. But we just you know, weren't aware of it.
1: Well, I, I think that it's become apparent at this moment in time. You know, like, for instance, the idea of codependence you know, in relationships, which is, it's still prevalent, but... It's so changing so rapidly right now. At one time, say back in the 19, I don't know, 20s or 30s, it was probably more, you know, more of a mainstream thing. And yet at the same time, it took us this amount of time, for instance, through the women's liberation movement, feminism, to realize, like, well, but it really wasn't a level playing field after all, was it? So now we get to go ahead and start changing it. A lot of those old paradigms. I think, for instance, democracy in the early days was really quite useful. I'm not sure that we have even that we're even closely approximating. And I even wonder lately. It's like, you know, I wonder is it even the end of the two party system? Because there seems to be a certain, uh, you know, things that are going, you know, the. the, the they're, they're just falling apart to the point where it's like, are they even useful at all anymore? Is this really more about power, or is this really about representing, you know, the people as supposedly, you know, democracy is supposed to be, it's supposed to be it's supposed to happen? So I, I keep wondering about all this, but I do think a lot of these old things sort of had to play out because, in essence, those old foundations, which were at one time quite sturdy, that we have come to realize over time, it's like, hmm. Maybe in this current moment, this is no longer quite so useful. And that's what I think is so fascinating about this time that we're living now. All of this stuff, all the foundations are getting pulled apart. And there seems to be, like, when I think of all of these protests happening around the planet, whether it's Hong Kong, whether it's in South America, whether it's here in America, wherever, that, that all of these, you know, the people are starting to see the disparity between how they are being governed and what's actually taking place in terms of governance. And this is kind of, it's fascinating to see it as a worldwide thing. We're now in this global, like before it used to be just sort of isolated in, in particular places. Now it's global, just like climate. It's global. All this global stuff's happening, and I think it really is calling upon us to do the very thing you're talking about, Tonio, which is how are we going to get to a new paradigm if, if we're even going to make it as a species?
0: Well, what I was trying to say earlier, but was not getting to the right words, was that the shadow. Yes. Is arising.
1: Yes. Yes. You're great.
0: That's perfect. The shadow is literally arising from the shadows. It's rearing its. You could call it its ugly head. <laughs> for for very ev- ugly head <laughs> for everyone to see, and. by its nature, it doesn't just rise up and then disappear. It rises up because it has a fundamental role to play in our evolution. And at this point, we have to live with that shadow in all of its multifaceted forms in every aspect of our lives, politically, personally, health-wise psychologically yeah yeah we we have to face it we have to learn to we have to go through the very difficult and challenging process of learning to accept it and let it be as it is <laughs>
1: well, within here's, within here's, our experience this is a quote, you know i was doing You know, there's this new book by robert waterman and carrie thorne called uh, the power of love and and i was reading the chapter on ho'oponopono a few weeks ago and here's a quote from it, which is, and I think I might have even sent it to you um, in the last few weeks, but uh, let me read the quote here. Uh, it says, I've heard that the Maharishis sent meditators down to Honduras where 200 people were getting killed every day. And for the 30 days that these 100 meditators were staying in a hotel in the capital, there were no killings at all. When they returned back to the U.S., killings started back up. It shows that how we are present makes a difference. The Maharishi meditators put a breather space in there, but didn't change it. What we're talking about with the Ho'oponopono is actually a transformation so that the negative influence is no longer influencing. The shadow is erased, so that data no longer exists. This is, in a sense, what Jesus did by anchoring the Christ. It actually, literally, was like a mass Ho'oponopono where... For that time the words were clear and the negativity was erased we managed to pile a lot back in the last two thousand years but still that is what's going on a thousand of us doing ho'oponopono might be equal to a full-blown christ doing it for a few years but that's the potential of us when we wake up in that way when you even consider the possibility it starts working it's enticing what's possible Like. Get over myself and get more into the soul space. So one, one more short paragraph. What can you do? We don't know. That's what the new millennium is all about. It's opening up that experiment, seizing the moment and seeing what happens. I believe all the negativity that's stirring up is proof that it is working because it's starting to push it up. A lot of times after meditation I'll say, well, what washed up on the beach? It's not buried in the ocean where you can't find it anymore. That's the metaphor of the revelation of the beast coming out of the sea, becoming conscious. We're inviting this. Each issue in the world is a key to a forgotten room in the mansion of the self. Let us do our house cleaning and see what happens to the neighborhood. Isn't that great?
0: Yes, and let us do our house cleaning, and that's what this hoponopono practice is all about and what Dr. Hugh Len talks about as his continual all day long practice of cleaning, that we 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 work to clean everything that arises and that's that's what we have to do in order to accomplish what you're talking about is we just have to clean continually. We have to say I'm sorry please forgive me, or in however we do it. There are many different ways of doing this. There's many ways of letting go of everything and letting things just be without our trying to control them or try and change them, you know, in our own personal way, with our own personal agenda, that we clean we clean both ways. We clean ourselves, and we clean f- for the other at the same time. And by doing that, we we somehow end up in this magical place that Rumi talks about. You know, the the field, the field yeah. beyond good and bad, beyond right and wrong. Yeah. Where where we can meet in that field, clean, but we have to do. We have to continually do the work of cleaning. That. Dichotomous um, impulse to the way we relate to things in order to be able to enter that field with everyone and everything.
1: Yes. You know, like there, there was once, I remember uh, Robert Waterman had mentioned during mystery school, it was a simple little idea that this is opening up those worlds of, pa- of possibilities. Ask Israel and Palestine forgiveness. For having this war for us, yes, that's a wild thought. Mm-hmm. And but again, that there's a certain point, And actually, I'll, I'll read you a shorter thing here. This is a poem by Sam Hamill, which is called "What the Water Knows," which, which is what you were just speaking to. And here's the poem: "What the mouth sings, the soul must learn to forgive. A rat's as moral as a monk in the eyes of the real world. Still." The heart is a river pouring from itself, a river that cannot be crossed. It opens on a bay and turns back upon itself as the tide comes in. It carries a cry to the cry of the loon and the salts of the unutterably human. A distant eagle enters the mouth of a river. Salmon no longer run, and his wide wings glide upstream until he disappears into the nothing from which he came. Only the thought remains. Lacking the eagle's cunning or the wisdom of a sparrow, where shall I turn, drowning in sorrow? Who will know what the trees know, the spidery patience of young maple or what the willows confess? Let me be water. The heart pours out in waves. Listen to what the water says. Wind, be a friend. There's nothing I couldn't forgive. So there's that world of possibilities, once again. If there's nothing you can't forgive, that means you literally have opened up, anything can happen here on this planet.
0: And I would love to take a step back to what you said earlier about asking forgiveness of Israel and Palestine for having this war for us, and what that means that that all the people of Israel and Palestine are having this war for us.
1: You know, it's a very complicated thought, which I'm not sure I can, I can completely understand, to be honest, because there's so much, there's karma going on here in, in that area. In fact, you know, I just was telling you by email about this book I was reading, and then you should, sent me that beautiful YouTube of the young Israeli who was, you know, creating the graphic designers, creating the T-shirts of, you know, I love Iran. Uh, It's just so great to feel those movements of people that they're opening up up the world of possibilities as well. So when you think of the Middle East, it gets very complicated for me because, A, I'm not from that area. I don't have any history in that area. And yet when I read about it, I realize there's lots of karma. There's this whole crazy thing, you know, in terms of, Post World War II and what was created and all that, how people have lost land. All of this wild stuff going on, and I understand the dynamics of it. And at the same time, there's a part of me, my heart just sort of sinks and goes like, oh gosh, does it have to be this way forever? And that's where the best I can do is it's like, oh, you know, I'll just start with you simple. I'm sorry, forgive me, thank you, I love you. Because, you know, remember there was a quote I think I mentioned a few interviews ago from Krishnamurti, where he said, very simply, war is a uh, a spectacular reflection, a spectacular and bloody reflection of our everyday lives. So to whatever extent that I'm doing the war thing inside of me, that would be shame, blame, all that kind of stuff, that that is creating... A, another piece of energy that may manifest elsewhere in the world as an actual physical conflict,
0: right? And that's that's exactly what's happening over there because all of our our most our deepest felt outrage is manifesting on you know on the land right there yep. with, in Israel yeah. between the Israelis and the Palestinians. <laughs> And and it's mainly the power struggle is, is sort of fumbling along at the governmental level, and yet it's the people on the ground who are suffering the most from it. And both dynamics are what is going on inside of all of us. And we feel it. We feel the outrage when we hear the news of of what's happening regardless of which side you might take you can feel outrage both ways regardless of 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 your politics but the basic issue is that the same war is occurring inside of each one of us and the way you know that is the way you respond to the news of what's happening over there because what, yeah. what you see over there happening and the way you respond to it is actually a perfect reflection of what's going on inside of us and the yeah. way we know that is because we experience it inside of us even though we we think it's happening over there and, w- and that what's happening over there is so outrageous that all these innocent people are, are being killed needlessly because of crazy people who are addicted to power and control and have these, these crazy, inhumane, just insane ideological beliefs.
1: Well, you know, they're falling into the old paradigm of this is, you know, how we do control, and this is, again, that sort of...
0: But that's how we live.
1: ...basic self-struggle.
0: Right, but that's how we live. Yeah, but that's how we live. Yes, and and you're
1: exactly right. That's the
0: basic relationship that we have to the world around us. Yeah. We, I mean, many of us have been tempering it. We've we've been doing meditation practice and, and, and having deep, deeper insights into the nature of these things so that we're not totally enslaved to that perspective. But the same shadowy demon keeps raising its ugly head inside of our experience, inside of our lives over and over again. And that's why we have to continually do this work of cleaning this stuff on a moment-by-moment basis, Throughout our lives, it's not like you do it once and it's done.
1: Well, I completely agree, Tonio. And I also wonder if there's, and this is, of course, way beyond my comprehension as a human being, but if the divine has this very interesting plan, like when you were mentioning all of this awfulness, that, you know, the paradigm's collapsing, the, the you know, the it has become, you know, displayed on public, in public, all that kind of stuff, that all this stuff, and I do think that whatever work people have done prior to us, which has obviously been a minority, is starting, as mentioned in the Robert Waterman quote from the book, bringing all this stuff up so that now that it's arising and now that we can actually see it, it becomes even more prescient to say, do the very thing you're talking about. Now we can even see it. So what am I willing to do to, in terms of personal responsibility to create peace inside of myself? So that, that, let's see if that will have any impact or not on what's happening elsewhere on the planet. You keep doing that work. In fact, I love, there was that quote, again, this showed up in Mystery School, too, which was that, um, that practice, what was it? It's like practice, oh yeah, promote peace by not judging war.
0: Yes, exactly. That's That's the key. It's like our agenda to create peace in a, is still a limited perspective agenda. And yeah. we have to beware of trying to impose our own personal agendas, no matter how noble, no matter how beautiful they may seem to us, we have to beware of trying to impose any of that upon the world, but rather to take full responsibility for our own, own personal experiences and direct relationship to everything so that we can actually open up to possibility and also leave the world open to possibility and to use the term that you use grace which is which operates at a much higher level of coherence and intelligence than we individually are capable of
1: Yes, and this is to restate, this is more, this is from an Islamic point of view, is the thing that I had said much earlier in the conversation, which was take one step towards Allah, Allah will take ten steps towards you. So what you're saying in this context is we do the work, we show up and be present, we do, we take this responsibility to ourselves, then the divine will do the rest. That's where grace shows up. And I think that's the problem with where we are with this old paradigm way of thinking, Uh, whether you want to talk about impeachment or whatever, we still want to believe that we can control the whole thing without any intervention from these larger energies that are happening around us.
0: And that's also... until we
1: enlist those energies, i.e., the very thing you're talking about, self-forgiveness, for instance, taking responsibility, keep cleaning, doing whatever, those larger energies are simply, they, they will not ever, ever, ever interfere in our lives until we entreat them. And that's, that seems to be the biggest problem with particularly our so mental, you know, linear, analytical-focused, you know, culture right now is so that we think we can figure this out. And the problem is that we've lost that concept of, Getting these larger energies, the higher self things, was like when I mentioned that that book I was reading, which was about uh, you know a man named Khal- uh, what is it, Khalil, Khalil Bashir, and he was such an interesting example that no matter what happened to him, he was Palestinian, or No matter what happened to him through awful treatment by Israeli soldiers, and I don't want to make a comment about that one way or the other, but his response was always the same. He said, "I." Believe in peace, and I have nothing against you. We were brothers in the past. We will still be brothers in the future, and that is how I'm going to live my life. That is. And that's so was powerful. Little ray of hope showing up in the midst of all this despair, and I was like, "Well, so maybe this very work you're talking about, Tonio, that even if it's just you and a handful of others that are doing that work, that that is showing up." in that way over there. How
0: beautiful. Well, what he's doing is so powerful because essentially what he's saying is, even though you kill my children, you're still my brother. I cannot deny that you are my brother, even though you have killed something precious and dear to me. What, a, what an incredible way of, of taking responsibility for what is at a broader level of perspective and not getting, not getting hung up on, on, on a smaller level of identification and, and how incredibly, incredibly difficult that is for us human beings to do that under that circumstance. I mean, that is, it's, it's virtually inconceivable and we could never ask anyone to behave in that way. And yet, if we do anything less we are abandoning ourselves to a world of war, of continual war.
1: And that's the basic self, doing what the basic self does, because all the basic self understands is survival. And we have to train, retrain the basic self, because I have, for instance, my own belief systems that I acquired and created while growing up as a kid. And then as I get older, this is part of the cleaning process. It's like, oh, so I guess maybe that's not so functional anymore. And I get to update. And, that's, and I think this is what's happening on a global basis right now. There's this huge, it's almost like this new software wants to come in, the software update. And it, um, the only way it's going to happen is what you're, the way you're talking about it, Tonyo, is that we all have to do the work. We have to do the cleaning. We have to show up out there in the world and do whatever the thing that, that it is, and, and, and lose some of the ideas, you know, like the idea of me waking up in the morning and saying, I'm going to fix the world today. Well, that is totally an illusion, and that's not particularly useful. The, the best thing I can fix is myself, and that's the, that, that cleaning process, the taking responsibility process. That's the fixing. Get rid of the war inside of me so when I walk around out there in the world that there's going to actually be an energetic presence that will, and, you know, and I think a lot of people don't quite understand this, but there is an unconscious aspect that these energies, the more and more people who are doing that work, it will have an impact on the other people around them because it will become the new paradigm.
0: And it's it's not even about fixing ourselves because that there's something fundamentally incorrect about that as well. It's it's about dealing with what's arising within ourselves in each moment, because the notion of fixing, that's, again, it's not... And fix-
1: no, there's a judgment in there. You're quite right.
0: Yeah. And, quite right. and this is... There's... You know, in our culture, we love the notion of superheroes, because it, it validates our identification with our own personal agenda, that, that if we could... If only we had the power, we could fix the world. We could fix everything if right. we had this ultimate power. And it's a, it's, a, it's a way of personifying the power of the infinite or the ultimate. And it just doesn't work that way. In fact, in a way, it, just, it, it helps reinforce the illusion.
1: Yeah, the old paradigm, but uh, and I would even say, though, and we could even use your same words, Tonyo, because I agree with you here, that, in fact, all of us are the superheroes here in this particular drama and this wild thing of being alive on the planet. We're all the superheroes, and all we have to do is get involved with the, the power that each one of us actually have, and it's not to change the world or do anything, but the power to keep cleaning and to take 100% responsibility. Or whatever is happening inside so that things will, you know, the grace will start showing up. And it seems to me that, you know, it's just, we're back to that idea of if, if this whole cosmos is based on unconditional love, so, for instance, if we clean the slate in terms of this idea of war, like when the Dalai Lama said war is obsolete, you know, if we actually clean that slate in terms of what's inside each one of us, all of the weapons would be dismantled on this planet
0: what you said was so beautiful that we're all the superheroes and we can all step up and we can all do the deeply personal work of cleaning everything yeah that that is just so beautiful
1: well you know i mean i'm almost like cried right now thinking god we really do have this in the palm of our hands if and, and it's not like I'm looking for an outcome or it's like, oh, the human race has to survive or anything like that. I'm just thinking of, you know, going out in a world where it's just so great to see other people, so great to go hiking and looking in the forest and things like, what an amazing experience that all of this is here and we get to do this all the time, and that if people want to heal, they can heal. You know, I, of course, I still believe there's some people that healing is, is only going to take place on the other side. And then you have lovely people like your previous interviewee, Marie, who can help them do that work. She's sharing her gift. That's the superhero thing right there.
0: Yes. And even if we don't survive, because, you know, each person, you know, we all die. Inevitably, we all die. There's no escape from that. And, there's so many experiences of people on their deathbed they make peace with all of the dysfunction and all of their own you know inner relationship dysfunctions at the very end and they and they leave in peace, not everybody, obviously, but but so many people do have that experience, and even as a species, collectively, even if we're doomed to to extinction. We could come to a place of collective peace and wisdom so that upon our collective deathbed, we could go in peace.
1: I, I agree with that, tonio And here's, here's something to add to that. This is a short, very short little quote from Meister Eckhart. If the soul could have known God without the world, the world would never have been created. So maybe these larger energies still want to know this world, but can only do it through the soul, which is all of us as superheroes.
0: Hmm. That's an interesting thing. Unfortunately, we don't have time to, to unpack that and to talk about <laughs> we can that. We do the next conversation. <laughs> yes,
1: it's true. So, you're the best. I hope your holidays are going well.
0: And uh, you're the best, too, and I hope that you're having a great time as well.
1: Only because I'm talking to you, brother.
0: (laughs) Well, you've brightened up my day, so as always, thank you so much. The time has flown by, and thank you again so much.
1: Happy New Year to you.
0: And to you and to everyone else as well. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. And that's it for this Magical Mystery Tour. Thank you all so much for listening, and until next time, have a wonderful week.